Welcome back to the Retro Monster Truck Review. This week we've got Dan Chichagosh on the show and we're going to be talking about the Pontiac Silverdome 1993 Monster Wars Invitational. I hope everybody out there is liking, subscribing, and commenting on all the YouTube videos. And I also hope that you're sending all that love on Spotify with the follows and, of course, those Apple iTunes five-star reviews. I really appreciate it all, guys. Let's not waste any more time, though. Let's get right into the action. everybody to the retro monster truck review we are here with dan agosh from crush this a monster truck podcast and dan i'm gonna call you cheech the rest of this show because that's your nickname anyway <laughs> you suggested this to me about i want to say a month month and a half ago maybe uh ushra monster wars invitational pontiac silverdome before we get too much farther it's pouring rain here so if there's if you hear something in the background that's my roof getting nailed by rain yeah, we're supposed to have the same thing, too. All I hear is thunder right now in my neck of the woods, so I haven't got the rain yet, but it'll be coming here soon. What do we call an audible and talk about Blue Thunder for the rest of the show? Dun, dun. <laughs> 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 I remember that video that you made. That was pretty funny. Matt Cody's here. <laughs> yeah, that was last year sometime. It started downpouring right at the beginning of the pandemic, and I was walking through the house, so I turned my camera on. Just me walking to the door, opened up the door. And it thundered, and I said, oh, look, Matt Cody's here. <laughs> yeah. That was a, that was a good one. Um, but anyway, this show, Monster Wars, is the subject of probably some of the biggest debates between fans in the monster truck industry, mainly because I would consider it to be the best of the worst ever produced in monster trucks. I say that for the TV quality broadcast. I do not say that for the racing that goes on in this 93-94 season uh, between these trucks. Because, man, this is some of the best racing we've seen to this point in the history of the sport. Right, right. And and the crazy thing is, is um, I think there's actually versions of Monster Wars that don't have the characters in them whatsoever. It's just Joe Lowe calling the shots. But yeah, somebody who did that painstakingly edited out all of the painstakingness that we had to go through and sit through from some of these characters that came on. Oh my. So let's, let's talk about the good parts of Monster Wars, though. Uh, Monster Wars was broadcasted through, um, what was it? It was um, ESPN, wasn't it? Uh, ESPN and also some fidications like UPN and uh, sometimes Fox. I remember Saturday mornings it was on Fox. Uh -huh. But it was normally on uh, ESPN in the daytime, and then uh, sometimes uh, UPN or whatever channel company that was back then. Yeah, before UPN, there was another broadcaster that had that particular network, um, and that was broadcast there. Uh, we had an interesting combination of people on this show. Uh, we'll start out with probably the best live event announcer in Monster Truck Racing, and that, of course, is the late, great Joe Lowe. Man was always recognizable in the sport. You could tell exactly who was speaking over the microphone. That voice was instantly recognizable. The one thing that always gave him away, too, was that you know, that uh, red, white, and blue American flag jumpsuit outfit that he used to wear. It was just... always You could always tell Joe when he walked out on the track. He was legitimately one of the best guys in this industry. We unfortunately lost him in 2012 due to cancer. Uh, rest in peace, Joe. 
Everybody still talks about this guy, though. He is one of the most well-respected men in this industry. Yes, yes. And before his passing, he was still... When we, uh, when I was working for Monster Jam, we uh, did West Lebanon. And the guy on that, uh, that owned the track always requested Joe. I don't think for the longest time West Lebanon had an announcer outside of Joe Lowe. Yeah, I mean, there, were, there was a reason people requested him, because he was the guy that could really hype up the crowd. Uh, I've always said that if you're going to train announcers for a monster truck event or a monster truck team or anything like that, you need to look at tapes of three people. Scott Douglas, Army Armstrong, and Joe Lowe. Army and Scott, for the television side, were extremely good. Scott was extremely good as well as a live event announcer, but Joe just, he had that... Uh, what do you, what do you say? Uh, cares, cares, I can't even talk charisma out there yeah. that really just drew people towards him. And I used to love listening to his banter with hot rod, Bobby Cox, when he was at a show, those two were perfect for each other, griping back and forth. They were really good at that. Uh, and just all around good dude. And he's greatly missed in the industry. He was the guy that you heard on TV. This was his big shot as far as television stuff goes. And as far as I know, this and World Finals 4 were really the only TV that I really ever heard him on. And a couple episodes of Inside Monster Jam. He did okay. a couple episodes, too, with Scott Douglas. Um, okay. Yeah, that's a series that I still have yet to see all of, is Inside Monster Jam. It's kind of one of those things where you got to know a guy to know a guy to find the guy that has the link to it, or we'll send you the broadcast. Yeah. Uh, in the pits, we had Jim Davidson. Uh, his, this is kind of his big break, honestly, in Monster Wars. Uh, he's actually known for his stint on a show called Pacific Blue, playing a guy named T.C. Calloway. He also has some other credits to his name, like Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, Charmed, and CSI Miami. Uh, he's no Army Armstrong. He asks simple questions and really doesn't get into the driver's personality. He doesn't dive into it a little bit. He's just the kind of guy that leans against the tire and looks good and the drivers just answer whatever he says. Basically he does what he's supposed to do. We'll put it that way. Yeah. He asks the simple questions and he asks, uh, what needs to be done. It, it, some of the, some of the stuff that he did during the, uh, monster wars was he try to, it seemed like he tried to get into the people's heads, like hanging out with Gary Porter, or hanging out with uh, Dennis Anderson and kill devil Hills. But it just seemed like, um, uh, he wasn't there. <laughs> you know, I don't, yeah, I mean, I kind of get what you're saying. Like, he, he was physically there, but his mind was not there. It was somewhere else kind of thing. Now, the biggest part of these broadcasts and stuff that people, and definitely the one that people still talk about to this day, is the gorgeous Luann Lee mm. that, puts on, that puts on as the host for this show. If you don't know who Luann Lee is, she is a former Playmate of the Month. And she has some quite the credits to her name as far as uh, whether it's television or movies. She was in Beverly Hills Cop 2, Married with Children, Quantum Leap, just to name a few. She was extremely good at her job. We'll put it that way. She was never in studio with Joe Lowe. She was never in studio with Jim Davidson. She had her own little set with a green screen background. But whenever she talked, she knew exactly what she was talking about. And she delivered it very well. Yes, yes. And... Uh... It was pretty cool. I mean, heck, most of the people in the television that watch Monster Wars, if you wasn't a guy that was 18 years or up and knew what she was doing previously, yeah, you just thought it was a pretty blonde lady that, you know, introduced you to the best things on wheels, monster trucks. And But more knowing more and more about it, it just it just seemed like um, 
it, it seemed like that in the 90s, if you think about it. Like, a lot of people try to get themselves into a, uh, on top of, like, a rock to get to their position of where they wanted to be at, I guess mm-hmm. what you say. And this is one of those credits where um, they knew that the show was going to get syndicated. So if they can try to get themselves somewhat in the position to get them into more product, they will take full advantage of it. And it just seems like that in general, still today in Monster Jam and Monster Trucks in general, it's still today where a lot of the people that you would quote unquote see as announcers of Monster Truck shows just use it as their entertainment platform. Because yeah, a, lot of the, a lot of the hosts use it as a stepping stone to get farther in the industry. Happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we get on to probably the part that actually just completely kills Monster Wars for me. That's the characters. <laughs> These characters, oh my my goodness, Cheech. I, this, like I was telling you before we started recording here, I literally wanted to fast forward through every bit of this and listening to these guys talk. However, there are a, there is a star-studded character here, and we'll get into him in just a minute. Uh, but you have a little bit more inside information on a few trucks that didn't have characters and as maybe why they didn't have a character. So the couple of the uh, episodes, I'm going to self-plug here, that I do at the Crush This Monster Truck podcast, we interviewed a couple people like Wayne Spozanek with Tropical Thunder, uh, Mark Bendler of Kodiak, and then I, have, I personally talked to Fred Schaefer. So if you're watching, if you follow the season of Monster Wars through the 93 season, you would mainly see these three trucks. Occasionally, you would see Monster Patrol. The story with Monster Patrol is he's about the he's the only one out of the group that didn't have a character, to my knowledge, because he came in later in the season. But the original three that was supposed to be with the group of the rest of the six was with Barefoot, Tropical Thunder, and Kodiak. They all three had a character. Story behind Kodiak was he had a character... And it's kind of funny, his his character wasn't a bear, because that was actually for Barefoot. Uh, it was a Sasquatch, um, a snow monster. And okay. during that time period, that United States Hot Rod or Pace by that time were offering him that deal, he was actually about to sign a corporate deal with McDonald's. When that fell through, he went to... You know, the United States hot round and said, hey, um, you know, let's get ready. Let's do that. And they didn't have time to get everything ready to go because they didn't know that Mark was going to be ready for that. The truck was ready. He was ready, but everything else not. Um, the business end wasn't quite there. No. And that's the same thing with Wayne. <clears throat> Wayne's character was supposed to be an alligator, a crocodile, tropical thunder, Florida type deal. He told me that it was supposed to be a crocodile and alligator, and the deal fell through. Um, when I say deal, the character deal fell through. Now, Fred's story is just point blank to the dot. He just said no. Smartest guy of the bunch <laughs> right there. Uh, as far as this goes, and, and this is something I'm going to make a point on, Um as far as Monster Wars goes, the TV, the, like there were, there's a couple of things that irk me about the TV portion of it. The major irk is the characters. However, the racing that they portray, the voice behind it with Joe Lowe, everything, all of that without the characters is top notch. Mm-hmm. But once you introduce that one little thing, 
and that's these wrestling promos that you get. It just destroys the whole broadcast for somebody like me. Uh, however, there is one shining light to the characters, and that is a guy by the name of Rick Zumwait. He portrayed a construction worker that represented Gary Porter's Carolina Crusher. He is easily the most star-studded character here on the show. He once performed opposite of Sylvester Stallone in the movie Over the Top. He was the final arm, wrest- arm wrestling match for Stallone at the end of that movie. He'd later go on, believe it or not, if you tune into the movie Batman Returns about 57 minutes into it, he's the big guy standing there that says, go ahead, hit me. And then Batman kind of looks down, and all of a sudden, Rick's got a bomb in his pants. And then Batman punches him, knocks him over a thing, and he blows up. <laughs> But the, what's what's right after that when he says, go ahead, hit me, and then Batman looks down and he looks at Batman and he kind of, it cuts to Batman and Batman has this big smile on his face. That has been memed so many times by DC fans. It is unreal. That Batman smile or Batman smirk. If you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, he, Like I said, that has been memed many, many times, that particular part. And he also, at the beginning of this show, it's hilarious, Cheech. He gets a ba- uh, bomb shoved in his pants by Batman, and Batman returns. But what does he have in his hand at the beginning of this show as he's exclaiming, exclaiming, pain, pain, pain? A big bomb that's comically yeah. large in his hand. And one thing I think uh, people may not know, the adult humor that some of these guys were talking about. Yes. In this episode also, I, I don't know if we're going too in-depth, but if you watch this episode, watch the argument between when okay, so it's the first round, it's between Caroline Crusher and Invader. Watch the argument between Invader and Carolina Crusher. Oh, yeah, we'll get there. We'll get talk- there. I wrote the whole thing down. <laughs> I wrote the whole about- thing down. We will definitely get there. I can't skip because I laugh so much. I'm like, I'm watching this and I was four or five years old exactly. watching this and now figuring out now what they were talking about. Is like for young children. Not suitable for young audiences, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Luann Lee is the one that intros us here, of course, and she says Monster Wars is all about action, thrills, and danger. She recaps the previous episode, which is the Louisville figure eight track, and this is where Dennis Anderson actually picks up his first ever W at Louisville when he takes out the rookie Paul Schaefer and Monster Patrol with the victory. And number seven also took over the points lead right here in, the, in that particular event out there at the Louisville figure eight. Uh, it's interesting. I'm, I'm wondering um, how this schedule works out or if this point series was just done with certain footage and spliced together and released on television, because Pontiac to me seems like a show that would be in first quarter of the year. Louisville would be something you would see later in the year. I would think whenever they can go outdoors. So I'm interested to know the dates of this. I don't know the dates, and if somebody out there does happen yeah. to know the dates of when this stuff actually happened, I'd love to hear it. One thing also is kind of confusing is the very first episode of Monster Wars is at West, West Lebanon. Lebanon. Yes. I mean, I know I know the way Chris Parrish, he was in your last episode, uh, last episode, was describing to me about episodes because they filmed that whole weekend. They had four shows at West Lebanon. They filmed all four but they put those shows in different categories throughout the whole year. Mm-hmm. And now, am I am I thinking that uh, the, 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 the program was in 93, but I as me as a young kid, I don't know when they started the program. I'm thinking they started filming late 92. They, they may very well could have. Um, I'm, like I said, I'm not sure 
Uh, Monster Wars is a big mystery to me as far as when everything is put together. I'm a TNT kid. I really mm-hmm. I know my stuff when it comes to TNT. I know my stuff when it comes to early USHRA. When it comes to Monster Wars, I need to do a little research um, as far actually, as when everything was put together. Actually, off the top of my head, I'm I'm brain farting with that. I think Monster Wars came out in '94, and they filmed in '93 because Monster Patrol. Help me out here, folks, because I think Monster Patrol really didn't come out until '93. I need to figure it out more. I just, you know, it's just like a fusing like said, path of timeline. The timeline for the whole season, and this is something that we will eventually get down to a T as far as what this podcast goes. Uh, as far as this particular show go goes, we know what this one is. This is Pontiac Silverdome. This is where it really all began as far as monster truck racing goes. Uh, they do talk about Bigfoot quite a bit in this episode. They show the first car crush, uh, and th- they lead into something a little bit later that irks me a little bit, and we'll get to that. But... According to them, there's sold-out crowd right here for this invitational event, and there are three trucks in this invitational event that we don't normally see throughout Monster Wars. That, of course, is Bigfoot, the glaring omission as far as the point series goes. Then you have Rambo and Bill Weaver, and Overkill with an interesting name behind the wheel. Jerry Richmond's actually driving Overkill at this event. Yeah, with that, uh, which is pretty cool, because outside Bigfoot, the two other trucks in the invitational... The the cool thing is about these two trucks, they were both Thunder National trucks. Now, it would have been cool to have X, uh, like you know Excalibur in it. Um, there was a lot of trucks missing out in this Invitational that were the best out of the best that weren't there. Yeah. Uh, I think you kind of agree with me on that. But um, it's pretty. Uh, Jerry Richmond's driving overkill for that first quarter because in the 92 year, uh, Marty Garza uh, retired from monster truck driving after he won the 92 Thunder Nationals championship. Mm-hmm. So he gave the, um, you know, after he was done uh, with that 92 year, uh, Scott, not Scott, had Steve Hess drove for a little bit. And then Jerry Richmond pretty much drove the rest of the time for that truck until, um, you know, until the accident happened. So, um, yeah, it was pretty cool. And seeing Rambo, I always love that guy. Oh yeah. Rambo love that truck. Is- Rambo's just as it usually is at this particular event, bouncing all over the place. The interesting thing here, uh, when you're when you're a kid watching this and you hear the name Bigfoot, the first thing that pops into your head is Racing Stripe Bigfoot. What we get here in first quarter of this particular season, we get Bigfoot and Andy Brass, but it's got the Wildfoot paint scheme on it with Bigfoot written on the side. It's a very interesting look for Bigfoot. It's one that uh, I think I might have to put on an RC truck here soon because I have a Wildfoot truck. Maybe I need to throw a Bigfoot body on there with that same paint scheme as well. It just, it looks cool. This flat mm-hmm. out looks cool and it's completely different for this event. And I'm sure when it pops up on screen and people see it, they're like, wait a minute. That can't be, that's not Bigfoot, is it? Because all the highlights we were just shown were all of the racer stripe. They could have went outside. One of the little things that pet peeves me as far as TV goes, for some re- for some reason, a, a truck has a different paint scheme on it, and they show an older version of the truck before they actually show the truck on TV. And this is one of those instances where you could have easily walked outside and got like a walk-around shot of Bigfoot to put in place when you're talking about Bigfoot being on your show. Instead, mm-hmm. you're showing the racer stripe Bigfoot that people are really familiar with, and then you go to this one, and they're like, wait a minute. Yeah, I, I like to know the story. Uh, I would love to talk to Bob Jr. or whoever to talk about what was the idea of that paint scheme because during that first quarter of 93, it was Bigfoot, but when Pennant comes around, it turns Wildfoot because 
some people know the rules that you couldn't have the same name, multiple trucks with the same name at Penna. So the way he Bob split the two was one was Wildfoot, and one was Bigfoot. You know, and different identities. But I, I never knew the I never really knew the origins of that paint scheme and why they wanted to go green instead of you know the traditional blue. Yeah, no, nobody really knows that. I do know that Bigfoot here a little while back had released a couple of photos. Uh, just some, like some test samples before this paint scheme actually had happened. There was a purple body, which is kind of like what if almost. And then there was the famous teal that we got as far as Wildfoot goes on either side. They had two different body panels sitting next to each other. They ended up going with the teal, which is the obvious choice as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but man, it's one of those iconic paint schemes that people still remember. You think the racer stripe, you think the classic blue, and then you think Wildfoot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it, and also, if, uh, like, there was a point, like, later on in the Monster Wars season, they do have the World Finals. Bigfoot was there, but he was in a different group. But Bigfoot did run a full, I think, first quarter schedule with the United States High Ride. He wasn't doing anything television-wise. Um, at the World Finals, he was running in the, I don't want to say B class, because there was a lot of good trucks in that class that yeah, weren't. And- like like we were talking a little bit beforehand, Monster Wars kind of did a division thing. Mm-hmm. The next season, they called it the East and the West Division. This season, I'm not sure exactly what they called it. It's not really named. And nobody honestly really knows who won the championship in this other division either. I haven't ever seen it listed online. Uh, if somebody does know, I'm assuming it was Bigfoot. But please let me know if if you guys happen to know who won that big the, the division that Bigfoot was in. But this uh, this division that was on television... Didn't feature Bigfoot until this Invitational. Mm-hmm. The one thing also I noticed, I don't know either, but I do know that that World Finals Excalibur won that event for that class. Okay, I do know that, but I don't know who won the championship for that division. Me. Yeah, that, that division remains a mystery as far as uh, I know. But anyway, back to this Pontiac event. We're going to go down the list of trucks as they qualified, basically. And I found out a little bit before this broadcast, actually, uh, before we recorded... That, and there's some time discrepancies here as far as qualifying and racing times. Apparently, they qualified on a straight line, and then they went and did the J-drag track that we have here, which is more like a U-style J-drag track. It's just simple long straightaway around a corner and then jumping over a set of about eight or ten cars to the finish line. Number one qualifier, though, they don't give a time, is your former Penda and TNT champion Andy Brass and Bigfoot number 11. Second place in qualifying was Jerry Richmond and Overkill, the Thunder Nationals champion. Carolina Crusher, Gary Porter, 1991 Penda Series champion, number three in qualifying. And Dennis Anderson and Gravedigger, number four in qualifying. Taurus, Jack Woman Sr. in this particular event, a former USA as well as a USHRA points champion. Equalizer, David Morris, the TNT 1989 points champion, is back and here in Equalizer. First Blood, Rob Fuchs. Invader Ray Prakowski, barefoot with Fred Schaefer, way down the order here for uh, defending USHRA champion who is looking for his third championship. And then Kodiak and Mark Bendler at number 10. And rounding out the field is Bill Weaver Jr. in Rambo with no time listed. One thing I also remember we were talking previously about this show, and I said there could have been a fourth champion. There it is, the brain fart, first blood. Remember when they had in the 92 season where they had the top six and then the other group? Mm-hmm. He was the other group champion in 92. Okay. That was it. I, I 
totally brain fart until you brought first blood up and i'm like there it is there's the other champion that i was speaking of <laughs> in 92 because yeah, you remember... I, had, I had forgotten that as well mm-hmm. so but that was a little side note thanks for reminding me <laughs> hey you're welcome that's what we do here on the show <laughs> Now, round one starts off with a final round anywhere. This is your one and two in Monster Wars points right here, uh, as far as the TV broadcast goes. Gravedigger and Big Barefoot taking on each other. It's a literal war in this season every single time these trucks match up together. But up to this point, Fred Schaefer is one and oh against Dennis. And this is supposed to be mid-season, so they haven't matched up with each other but one other time in this entire season. And, of course, right before we get into the actual race, we have to hear from Skeletor's less successful older brother. I'm talking about <laughs> the Gravedigger character here, who legit looks like a complete ripoff of Skeletor from He-Man. And, uh, God, I can't believe I'm even going to read this. He says, I prefer a U-turn course as my main course. I want Barefoot as my dessert. We're two minutes and 33 into this broadcast, and I already want to slap somebody. Yeah, they, it's they, the worst uh, writing in the world. Like they got 2021 WWE writers right here on this. It, that's what they probably did. That's what this, they probably this might hired. Be their first job. Yeah, I mean that. That's just that's a horrible, horrible way to get into this. As a kid watching this, I probably groaned hearing that as well. All fine is. times, though, here, like we said, we thought we're a bit odd at first until we found out that this was a straight line track that they qualified on. Digger qualified fourth. Fred Schaefer qualifying ninth in barefoot. A lot of people might be scratching their heads at that with one of the top trucks in the country being that far down low. But Fred used to always do that to upset the bracket just a little bit. If Fred Schaefer wasn't the number one qualifier, he was near the bottom. Mm hmm. Yeah, and and the crazy thing with Fred is he had a tactic and a scheme through every show and who he's going to face. He's going to play games with them. Um, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But Fred, Fred was a calculated man. Yes, he was. And his mind games work right here. Uh, we get a clip from Dennis Anderson. He says the track is going to be really fast on the straightaway. Brakes are going to be hot going in the turn. Going to keep my eye on the old man Fred over there. The Dodge runs good. Got to give him credit for that. But this old 50 Chevy will beat his doors down. Uh, unfortunately, the only door that gets beat down is Dennis's. He goes into the corner, tries to slide the rear tires out to do that famous Digger-style power slide. But the rear end bites and over goes Gravedigger number seven. And probably, and I could be wrong, might have been its first rollover. Uh, the truck had a freshly painted body on. And as you can kind of see, the, the top of the body suddenly goes from complete black to having white splotches all over it from where the paint has come off of this body on this rollover. And I tell you what, though, that rollover was a really, for a gravedigger rollover, it was really slow. It was a really slow rollover for that truck. But yes. you could see clear as day where I, if you watch him down that straightaway, he went a little bit too hot around that turn and it got him. Yeah, I don't think that track Rolo was... even says he couldn't find the brake pedal. <laughs> yeah. He gets yeah, in the corner, right. he couldn't find the brake pedal. I think what Dennis tried to do is slide those rear tires out, and with that truck being such a short wheelbase, the Goodyear's actually bit, and it sent him over on his lid. And another thing to note, too, is none of these guys to this point had even touched the J-turn track yet. They'd all done everything on a straight line. Mm -hmm. so, another thing... Another thing that caught my eye is if you watch that video, if anyone watches the video, 
take a look at that turn where right next to him is also a pulling sled. So I'm guessing there was pulling going on in that event also. Mm-hmm. And I think there was some um, track maintenance that was going on to get ready. And I could be off a little bit, but when I was watching it, I feel like the right lane, the transition from that pulling to the main course wasn't transitioned right. Yeah, I kind of noticed that too in that lane. However, there's a lot of winds that come out of that lane as well. Mm, yeah. And honestly, I think it's because maybe the, 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 the top part of that particular lane wasn't set up right. So they were forcing themselves to cut it as short as they possibly could. And that's why there was a little bit more winds coming out of that right side. Dennis is okay, by the way. And in the other lane, too, Fred puts on a bit of a show as the right rear hikes up on him. He almost ends up on his lid. But the suspension on that barefoot truck is literally a sponge. So yeah. only the right rear pops up, really. <laughs> he goes on. He takes the win. It's the slowest time in round one. It's like an 18.72 or something like that for Fred. But he's in the next round. And then we get to hear from Skeletor's brother again. And he uses phrases like, Turning over in my grave. I can't believe I flipped out. Somebody steal this writer's pencil, for God's sakes. My God. I will return. And this is the part. This is the very end of this is what caught caught me. I will return and make a living hell for anybody that crosses my path. The first couple bits of that, you're kind of like tuning out. And then all of a sudden, whoa, he used the word hell. Mm, It gets worse after that. Uh, (laughs) Also, for a line note, if people are watching this, uh, was was wondering about Bigfoot. He was actually doing a buy run too. Yes, so. the buy run for Bigfoot is shown earlier in this broadcast. And you see Andy do the quick little buy, and that's how they basically the track explanation for uh, this particular broadcast. Bigfoot gets its buy. Barefoot's in round number two, and the next race after that is Carolina Crusher and Invader. She's already one. laughing as soon as I mention <laughs> this. He's already <laughs> laughing, thinking about this little banter that we're about to get. Gary qualifies with a 5.09. Ray Perkowski qualifies 8 with a 6.13. The tread to tread, which is something I think they should bring back as far as television broadcast goes, of particular trucks have raced each other a certain amount of times. Show the record of each truck versus each truck. I think that's kind of cool. But then we get into the characters, and here we get into Carolina Crusher. (laughs) Invader, I'm going to chew you up and spit you out like a piece of galactic garbage. He fake spits and then he yells, "Yeah!" Kind of like Jim Cole. She's just dying over here, just reading the stuff as I'm trying to go. I'm picturing this because I just watched it like five times. <laughs> it's the best. It's the best promo, the best shoot of the whole Monster Wars series between this, just because of the dark humor that them <laughs> go after each other with. Oh, Crusher, you're you. a catastrophic, catastrophic disaster. I'll jump past you in a minute and lay your sorry carcass to rest. Okay, so he's the Undertaker now as he fires his laser beam at the camera. Then uh, Crusher. (laughs) Rest on this, you spaced out junk heap. (laughs) There's only one place for you. He takes his helmet off and hits it with a wrench. Bang, zoom, I'll kick you past Uranus. (laughs) Oh, Lord. And the invader fires back, Uranus, I'm surprised you know the name of one of your sickly solar system planets. Get ready to see Invader move at the speed of light to Victory Lane. (laughs) 
we're both dying. Ladies and gentlemen, our faces are both red after reading that, especially mine, because I'm the one that was reading it. And Cheech is just dying over there. I think he needs to drink water, possibly. Oh, my God. Uranus. <laughs> the one word that pops you Cheech nine... this whole time, Uranus. Well, just think about out the whole jokes. They had nine. Oh, they had eight other planets to talk about. And that, they go with Uranus. <laughs> My comment in the notes was literally, for the love of God, what did I just listen to? <laughs> <laughs> in reality, though, even with that little bit of banter that does make us giggle to this day, uh, the matchup is really a no contest. Even though in Tread to Tread, Crusher actually has a loss to Invader, uh, Crusher actually gets the whole shot here, is down the track and through the turn and takes an easy win. And what we really have here is leaf sprung suspension, really heavy truck, Versus a very lightweight truck in Gary Porter's Carolina Crusher. And Porter, I mean, a 9.67 pass is nothing to sneeze at on this particular track. And Gary looks pretty fast going in around number two. Yeah. And I and it just seemed like uh, his truck settled really good around that turn. And um, compared to Gravedigger, I think he was a lot closer to the box, turning box, uh, than... Um, Digger was because I think Digger went a little bit too wide. That's when he rolled over. Carolina Crusher had a pretty smooth run, and then, like you said, Invaders technology. Um, he, he was still a leafer truck. Yeah, he was still and, about a '89 style technology racing a truck that's definitely 1994 technology at this point. Yeah, Gary Porter's truck just gets to the corner a lot better. I disagree with what Joe Lowe says right here. He says it was a matter of driving skill that cost Invader the win. I disagree with that. I think Ray's driving that truck to the best of its ability. The problem is, like I said, there's just so much weight and no suspension for that truck versus a truck that has everything going its way. Oh, and then we go back into Crusher. It's off to the junkyard for you, Invader. Maybe next time I'll give you kind of, excuse me, maybe next time I should give you this kind of head start. He says as he maniacally crushes Invader's helmet in his bare hands. <laughs> Which looks like a melted the cheap Darth Vader helmet helmet <laughs> <laughs> thank uh, god we're on to the next round here Kodiak and Taurus Taurus is sporting this awesome looking black body and here it's shown that it qualified with a 5.16 fellow Hall of Famer in the other lane Mark Bendler and Kodiak 7.19 Jack Jr. out of the seat this weekend Jack Sr. opted to take the reels of the reins of this big bull here Mainly because he tested out all the other trucks, but he's not gotten to test out this one. He says in his interview, Eldon is my nephew, Jackie is my son, and they don't think the old man can drive. Well, there ain't no sense in letting them have all the fun. Sounds like a little bit of an ego deal that must have been bickering against each other uh, well, prior might to this been. Either that or it was just something for TV. But Jack yeah. Sr. driving Taurus is something that everybody loves. The launch for Taurus is literally insane off the starting line. He pulls Bender by, Bendler by over a truck length down the straightaway. Bendler has a great turn and comes out of it better than Taurus, but that straight line speed is just not enough to overcome here for Jack Sr., and he's, he just scoots away from Bendler by about two and a half truck lengths, takes the win with a 10.19, and honestly, if he gets out of that corner fast, he's going to get out of that corner, he could probably get out of that faster, and that time's going to come way down for Jack Jr., or Jack Sr., excuse me. The the thing is, is he was he was in the left lane, and the other win during the first round that won that as of right now was barefoot, but barefoot screwed up. Um, Taurus he he did a he was doing a different turn than everything everyone else. It looked like he comes around not turning, but he slap like I don't know how to explain it, but he like kind of 
cuts it. He like snaps and then like he cuts the corner and then continues on. Like I said before, if it wasn't for something that happened later on in the show, he was probably the fastest truck, you know, truck and a half, maybe longer against Kodiak. Now, Kodiak had a up-to-date technology truck. It was a front four-link truck, but it wasn't one of the best trucks that Mark liked. Mark really disliked that truck, and uh, um, he was still trying to figure out the bugs because later on in that year, he did buy the truck that would be in the next round. Very true. Overkill and First Blood is the next one here. And this is where we get the most over-the-top character in Monster Wars, as far as I'm concerned. And that's the First Blood vampire. And this guy, he likes to scream an awful lot. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Looks like an Ultimate Warrior wannabe without the tassels hanging off his arms or the face paint. Well, I take it again. He does have face paint. He just doesn't have the classic warrior face paint. This is the first time I've heard of a maximum over, um, over uh, maximum overkill. What a stupid name. He'll go down just fine when I suck the life right out of him. You will find that there is very little in the world of monster truck racing that I particularly just can't stand. And this character is the absolute least, least favorite thing that I've ever had to, that I had the misfortune of listening to in monster truck racing history. I hate this character with a passion. I just, I cannot stand him. Every time he's on the screen, I want to almost, like, cover my ears and my eyes. Well, the cool thing is, you only did half a season. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> we only got to see him a couple of times. He's also responsible for one of the one of the only times in Monster Truck Racing. We've, we've heard a, a few curse words aired over the, over the years. You can probably count them, if not on one hand, maybe on two of all the times you've heard a curse word on a Monster Truck television show. This guy gets away with saying how pissed off he is in one of the episodes of Monster Wars. And I don't know. I just, it never, it never sat well with me. I just, I just never liked the guy. It wasn't that he was scary. He was just kind of, it's like Baron Corbin. He's eh. Mm. That's just the way I put back for him. Then as they go to a commercial break here, they come back with my second least favorite character. And that's the Predator. Not even on this show, but for some reason, hey, we've got to get this Predator guy on the show. Yeah, it let people know because he wasn't running that event. And uh, I guess, you know, they had to let all the characters out because, you know, throughout the whole characters and the Invitational, Predator wasn't in this event anyway. Yeah, Predator wasn't here, but for some reason they had to let Catwoman's second cousin twice removed come in and say, hey, by God, life is perfect. But don't count me out. I'll be back on, I'll be out back on next week and shock them soon. Long, awkward pause. Dead. <laughs> I don't know why he, and then he turns into a cat pause and then looks at the camera like he's Dwayne Johnson about ready to raise his eyebrow and then he goes dead yeah. and he turns into a cat Jerry Richmond qualifies overkill in second position here with a five second time flat and then Rob turns a 5.39 so between second and seventh not that much time at all so on paper this looks like a really good race however whole shot goes to first blood doesn't get through the turn and basically hands the win to Overkill. Overkill just powers through the corner, takes the lead through the middle of the corner, and just flies and skies to victory. He has enough time to actually make sure the truck is straight before he goes to the final car set. 10.52 for Overkill, and then we get the first blood guy again. I will avenge defeat! It seems Maximum Overkill and I have blood ties. When we hook up again, he's going to have a heart-to-heart with him, and then he just has to scream, Oh, before he squeezes chunks of raw meat in his hands. I don't know why we needed that for this character, but hey, we got it. 
Equalizer, sixth in qualifying, 5.19. Rambo isn't listed to have a time. On paper, though, a total wash for poor Rambo here. But Joe Lowe, after Equalizer goes on to take the win, Cheech, he just goes... Like, Joe just drank a ton of coffee right before he makes this call. He goes, Equalizer makes short work of one of the top trucks in the country. Equalizer smokes Rambo. Think about where Rambo normally ran at. He was a top truck in the Thunder National world. I don't know if maybe Joe writes the information on what he does or someone else writes it. For someone that just watched Monster Wars and you're looking at these trucks at Invitational, Rambo was a t- one of the top trucks in Thunder Nationals, but not in the division that he was running that night. Yes, in this particular event, I mean, Rambo is just completely outclassed against the 1989 world champion here, Equalizer, that's made for this style of a course that's made to be able to get around a corner a lot better, that doesn't weigh over 10,000 pounds. Um, the weight is the story of this race right here. Equalizer, a considerably lighter truck, that's why it just scoots away from Rambo and goes on to the next round. And then we get the Equalizer superhero character pop in here saying he made Rambo run for cover. I'm not sure if he's getting this truck confused for Sylvester Stallone is driving it or what here. He does make a little bit of a punny thing in here. He goes, I made Rambo run for cover. I thought it would be a rocky race. He makes a lot of Sylvester Stallone puns yes, when he's yes, facing he Rambo. My question is, is this Rocky 1 and the next round's Rocky 2, or? I don't know, but he <laughs> uh, he makes a comment when they, you know, about, I don't know if it's, I think this one or the next time, but he makes a comment, he says Sylvester Stallone, or he says Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, he does. Like he also makes one more little subtle thing in here. He goes, we're squaring off again in the next round, and when we do, I'll make sure this race is no cliffhanger. I don't know why we've got to have the equalizer character and then follow it up with the actual driver of the truck talking about the track that he's on. And he says that you've got to really compensate for the speed as you're going into that corner. And that's, of course, David Morris. He's wanting to slide around the corner and not tip it over. They're really concerned about that corner because it's legitimately a hairpin turn for those guys. I do recall. I think in that same interview, uh, he asked David Morris if that turn was intimidating because prior to that, you know, I mean, he did see Gravedigger roll over. So he did ask about that, and David said that doesn't affect me whatsoever. Yeah, you've got to attack the track is something similar to what he said there. Uh, round one winners, though, equalizer with the fastest time of a 9.29. Carolina Crusher, a close second with a 9.67. Taurus, 10.19. Overkill with a 10.52. Barefoot, 18.72. And then Bigfoot, of course, gets a bye. The two fast losers coming back are Rambo and First Blood. At the beginning of round two, round two, we're reminded, hey, Bigfoot's here. <laughs> hey, pretty, pretty much. Oh, we forgot the, the the storyboard, the top story of this Invitational's truck, and that is Bigfoot. Yeah, and man, I hate this little segment, this featurette that they go into right here. This classic old-timey music, they kind of rewrite some of the history here. They make it sound like Fred Schaefer legitimately was the second truck out there with Barefoot, which is not the case. We know that. Uh, they basically make it sound like, hey, he was built to be Bigfoot's competition, which is true. He did build the truck to be a competition or a competitor to Bigfoot. However, not the main reason I don't think that the truck was built. Right. The, the, the thing is with Barefoot was, you know, pretty much, I mean, he was doing his thing. Four-wheel drive, 
Um, I do recall, I do think uh, they later on in the program, they do have a little bit of a segue or a little bit vignette with Fred Schaefer. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, after that, then they started showing Thunder National footage. Yeah, they show Thunder National footage as they're trying to talk about trucks from 1984 in this segment. That's another pet peeve of mine. You're trying to talk about a certain era of the sport, and you're showing current Thunder Nationals footage. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't go well. It doesn't mesh together hardly at all. I just I don't agree with this whole segment. It's almost like they're trying to rewrite some of the history of the sport here because they don't have some of the trucks that were in the early days of monster trucks in this particular series, if that makes sense. Uh, the whole little vignette just it doesn't make it doesn't do anything for me, especially when they turn around and they say. In 1987, the USHRA organized the first monster truck racing series where monster truck stars would go head-to-head in combat. We all know that is false. Yes, they were racing. USHRA was racing in 87, but so was TNT, and TNT was the first point series. But, of course, they're not going to tell you that in this particular event because, at this point, USHRA had bought out TNT. Right. They bought it out right after the 1990 season. Yeah, so they're going to use their history and say they're the ones. We did it. My God, we did it. And I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Uh, If you're going to say, if you're going to say anything, say the first point series, don't mention the name of the series, but turn around and say, hey, the first point series was created in 1988. You get away without mentioning the, the old competitor name, even though you own it now. Don't, you don't have the right to turn around and say, well, we did it. That's one thing I thought that uh, they could have done also was just say, hey, we started points, you know, the first points racing was back in 88, you know, not not tooting your own horn and saying United States Hot Rod started this back in 87. We all know that they, they, they were the one of the first ones or the first ones to do competition side by side racing. But like you said, not points championship wise. Yes, not a points championship at all, and uh, I just I hate the fact that they try and spin it to sound like they were the first, which they weren't. It's 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 known. Even back then, I think people knew it because they probably remembered the TNT broadcast. But anyway, we'll go into the next round here. We've got Barefoot and Carolina Crusher again. Another truck, another truck versus truck matchup that could be a final anywhere in the country. Equalizer and Rambo again. First Blood and Overkill again, and then Bigfoot and Taurus. That one right there is the start of round two, and I got to say, it's probably the easily most anticipated matchup thus far in the evening between these two particular trucks. Yes, and it's also, uh, I personally thought, the best race out of round two. Yeah, I tend to agree with you there. Bigfoot and Taurus, easily uh, one of the rivalries that kind of gets brushed under the rug every now and then. I mean, they're part of that trio that was Pontoon Beach. Granite City and Hazelwood, within, like I said, within 45 minutes of each other, they're constantly trying to make horsepower and trying to get onto each other. And right here is no different. Mm-hmm. Before we get into this, though, we get an interview with Bob Chandler. And I really like this little bit of a tidbit of an interview here uh, when he says, years ago, all we did was car crushes. You come out, you go over a set of cars, you wave to the crowd, and that was it. Now we're racing. And I love, love it with all these other trucks out here. They all have their own identities and glitches that make them faster than the other ones, supposedly. I love competing. I design our trucks on computers. They're all AutoCAD, all done with AutoCAD programming. I think I can stay ahead of the competition. The little interview there was supposed to be Bob talking about new versus old, and it's interesting to hear that coming out of the mouth of the man that created the industry, really. 
And it was interesting on his take of that. And also, I think also a little bit of a side hit to any of the competitors that he was talking about, especially the line saying glitches that make them faster, supposedly. Yeah, glitches that make them faster, supposedly. He's kind of poking fun a little bit, maybe a few trucks out there. But how do you follow up the man that created this entire industry? How do you follow up a Hall of Famer and Bob Chandler? John Wayne's nephew. <laughs> exactly. We get the Taurus guy out here. Woo, I'm just trying to psych you out, Bigfoot. Oh, my God. I, I can't stand how you, fo- you follow the man that created the industry. Basically, the guy that makes sure all of you guys have jobs right now with this character Taurus. You may be high and mighty as one of the first trucks there, partner, but on the frontier, you'll get your hide whipped. Keep clear of this Wrangler. I'm about, I'm wild about winning and stomping right over you. So we get this great explanation from Bob Chandler about the old and the new trucks. Followed up by, I don't even know what to call it, other than a rejected John Wayne script. Mm. Yeah. Can we just move on to the race? Yeah, let's just get on the race. That's just the stupidest segue ever in the history of the sport. I'm sorry. Surprise hole shot, though, to Taurus down the straightaway. And Bigfoot tries to slide the rear around the corner. And then we see Brass actually hike the left rear up and the left rear up slightly. Taurus in the other lane has a great-looking pass, but Jack Sr. actually turns in too soon, and it hits that big turn box they have right there. They call it a pole. It's a giant box that's out there on the track. Taurus looked to be en route to the victory, but by clipping that box, it takes him out of the competition. Bigfoot will end up going on to win with a 10.18 time. But, man, if Jack cuts that corner and doesn't hit that box, that time is easily a mid-eight. So... The, I watched this run probably more than any other run because Jack had this race in the bag from the start. It was the worst run that Bigfoot had during the whole night, mm-hmm. and it cost him because Bigfoot hiked up a little bit, and all Jack needed to do was slow down and just go around the turn. He had about a half a truck or a half truck or a half a truck, well, a truck and a half lead against Bigfoot and if he would just slow down and made the turn just just the normal type of speed turn that he would normally do he would have came out of that turn a truck ahead of Bigfoot and he would have knocked Bigfoot out I tend to agree with you there I think he when you say slow down he does he slows down for the corner he's going he would have made the corner had he just slowed down a little bit later Uh, I think what you mean by slowing down is he got a little excited Yes. In there and he turned in too quick. He hit that pole, or excuse me, hit that box, and mm-hmm. that's what costs him the win right here. And honestly, if you're going to want to take somebody out here in competition, this is the truck that you want to take out. Yeah. Because this guy's not even in your series at this point, and he's coming in number one qualifier already in the evening. I mean, I know Jack Jack Senior's in behind that wheel, just itching to take out Brass. And I, he I would have done it had he not clipped that pole. I would have said this: this race right here. And prior to Equalizer, I just thought that if Taurus would have beat Bigfoot, I don't think anyone would have touched him. Even if I, I, Equalizer had a good run, which Equalizer was consistent throughout the night, I just think Taurus was a little bit faster than everyone else in the field if he had that turn pad. 
look at the Wilman chassis and the way the Wilman chassis is designed. How many times did Tom Mintz take that chassis to Vegas on the fastest particular track in the world at that time, speed-wise, get it slowed down around a corner and take a world championship? Mm, a lot. This, this track was designed for this. This truck was designed for this style of a track. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. unfortunate that Jack Senior messes up just a little bit here. He's he gets excited because he's ahead of Bigfoot. I think it's the first time he's driven in over a year. And this and, and we talk about Bigfoot. It was not the best run that Andy had. He hiked up. He also took that turn really wide. Yeah, and he tried to go a little bit wide, and I think he got into the marbles up there, and that's what really cost him. And I think that's why the truck hiked up just a little bit. Gotcha. Yeah. It was, but yay. Luck can be on your side, and that's what happened to Bigfoot. Barefoot and Carolina Crusher. Barefoot needs some work, though. They're shown with some transmission problems. We see Invaders Ray Perkowski back there trying to help both Fred and his crew chief. So you know what that means, Cheech. We got to talk to the Crusher. And no, I don't mean Gary Porter. <laughs> Over the top. Oh, yeah. He's over the top here, all right. You don't bother fixing your truck, Barefoot. I'll do enough damage in this race to ship you straight to the junkyard. Maybe you'll run into Invader there. Misery does love company, so you two chumps will get along just fine. (laughs) Okay, I'm done with that laugh. It actually hurts to laugh like that. But coming back from commercial, we see that Barefoot is indeed on the line with Carolina Crusher. Your guess is good as mine, though, Cheech. When they take off... The whole shot, they're pretty much dead even when they leave right here. Yeah, the, what I learned further down the line was uh, they were fixing something on Barefoot's Linko mm-hmm. and uh, changing clutch patterns and stuff like that. So the the way I was learning about it is that he was changing some stuff in, in the transmission system. But it seemed like it was worked perfectly fine because Barefoot was back to his normal ways. Yep, he gets around this corner. He's probably one of the fastest. It's actually, now that I look at the times, second quickest run we saw all night from Barefoot right here. He gets around that corner, and him and Porter are even until the exit of the corner. This race looks like it's going to be something amazing until they get to the exit of the corner, and then all of a sudden Barefoot just hits the freaking afterburners and says, see you later to Gary. Gary got out of the corner well. He just it, he just couldn't hang with the, the power of Fred in the other lane. I mean, it almost, it literally, it looked like Porter stalled the truck on the exit. Even though when you look at the replay, the truck's still moving. He's just, he's just getting beat, plain and simple. Yeah. Barefoot had it coming out of the corner, and Carolina Crusher did not at that point. Right, and when you're taking on Fred, he's not going to give you anything. So you got to definitely play your cards right when you're facing Fred. And if he has you by that corner, all he has to do is just hem- uh, hammer that Hemi horsepower, and the rest of it's history yeah rest of its history right there crusher i think he forgets uh which character he's portraying in his interview after this uh no one can cage this raging bull forever that was taurus that's the taurus character but he he says that referring to himself i should have bashed barefoot next time i'll not only bash him i'll chew him up and spit him out all over the track please don't we don't need more debris cutting tires Overkill, first blood, rematch around one right here. First blood, overkill. Don't you know it's good to give blood? I can help you with this warning. Don't count me out again. I won't take another loss in vain. Overkill, I'm going to rip your guts out. And then the man literally squeezes more meat in his hands. And it looks it's made to look like guts. Or hearts. Or 
something phallic. I don't yeah. know, but it... <laughs> it's a great, it's a good hand moisturizer. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, perfect. What it is, is is it's actually some hand sanitizer. No, I'm sure. kidding. That's <laughs> yeah, weird. <laughs> the whole shot goes to overkill, but man, Rob is right there with him down the stretch. Overkill gets a better corner. But on the exit of the corner, it looks like the rear steer cocks to the left. Somehow, Jerry Richmond keeps it straight over the cars. And he goes on to take the win here over First Blood. I would like, I would text message Jerry and maybe talk to Marty about that. Because, I mean, by that time, I think self-centering is going on. And I don't know if they lost self-centered and Jerry has to drive everything manually. But it definitely looks like the truck, it just looks like he tried to he made the turn and then he was accelerating trying to get the wheels back straight and really didn't have enough time to do it which i think in the previous run that he took on first blood we noticed that but he finally got the wheel straightened out it just seems like in, this is an ongoing occurrence with overkill yeah but you know the best thing about this is that after the race is over with the guy that's the, the pro wrestler that says, I won't take another loss in vain, takes a loss in vain because we don't hear him for him the rest of the night. And that's, of course, for celebration as far as I'm concerned. Let's pipe in some music right here. Let's get some balloons, some confetti. We don't have to hear from the First Blood character ever again. But I do want to touch on him just a little bit before we go on. And that is the fact that I really do believe that this character really made Rob Fuchs' truck look really bad. Mm. out there i mean you watch that on tv and then you go to a live event and you see that thing i just i don't see that 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 truck being very popular in this era with that character representing it on television yeah there was a lot of uh when we had the interview with rob in our podcast once again watch it listen to on the uh crush this one little plug that's two um, plugs so far three <laughs> Well, anyway, I mean, most of the guys, I like, it's crazy because some of the guys that did this event, we have interviewed. And um, he talked about, you know, it's just, um, he was kind of rushed. Um, the the pace, people kind of were talking to Rob and said, you'll be on the television if you can make a, build a new truck. And he did, but, I mean, it's hard to build. You're not going to get the same. They were thinking that they would get the same quality with this new truck as if he ran the dominating performance in 92, but mm -hmm. that was a leafer. That mm -hmm. was, you know, the suspension on that truck was kind of typical as the same thing as Excalibur. Um, you know, not the race truck. I'm talking about the old, the first one. And you're not going to get the same reaction. You know, he has to get used to it. Kind, kind of perfect example. Jim Cramer. Don't get me wrong, Jim Cramer knew how to drive eight or nine, but he was so good with, you know, four, six, and seven. seven yeah. You know, and it, you know, he retired, well, he quit driving. Well, he still drove, but like not full, not full time. Let's he wasn't say. a competition driver. Correct. Um, after nine. And, uh, um, you know, he was um, good at all the Bigfoot trucks. He practiced eight for almost a year, but his cup of tea was those other type of trucks. I think that was the same thing with Rob. He was good yeah. with that leafer, and then when you put him in a, uh, a stage three truck, that was a little bit looser, 
a little bit looser. It was something that he was definitely not used to at all. He probably mm-hmm. didn't have any time at all. I imagine the first show with that that he had, he brought it out, and that was the first pass he probably made on it. Correct. So I just, I just think it was just, it was just a bad year for that team in general. And then you have that character. And what's even worse, let me. That's another pet peeve, is they knew that the. Rob sold his equipment and sold his team to un- the Kodiak team halfway in the season. They kept the gimmick. They kept him. If you watch other episodes, they do this funny gimmick. Not It's not even funny. It's their version of funny. That First Blood is sleeping. And someone's trying to call them, trying to get his attention. And, I mean, to a point where then throughout the end... Towards the end of the season, they just cut the character off. And they needed to do that beginning of the season. The character, as soon as they heard that guy talk, they should have just been like, nope, um, next. And that, so he, thing. Didn't, he didn't need a character at all. No. The truck spoke for itself. Uh, I just, I, I could not stand that guy that played he's, First Blood. He's the only vampire that I've ever known that lives in a fire. It lives in hell. You yeah, never yeah, noticed yeah, that's something that, I noticed too. Yeah. Like, if when I picture someone being a vampire, wouldn't there be like a castle background or like some type of like Transylvania or maybe a dark room with a coffin in the behind it? You know, like you'll I think, he, I think he's actually I believe he's little Nicky's strange elderly cousin. I, I don't know. Adam Sandler fan. You got that joke. I just think some <laughs> of the gimmicks that they did was very, very questionable. You know, like, for yeah, instance, Equalizer. He's just a what well, he was a rip off Captain America. Thank you. Thank you. And Carolina Crusher, a construction worker. Okay, I can get a little bit about that, but they could have been more in depth about that. Now, uh, the more and more we're getting to these episodes, the more and more I'm praising Fred Schaefer for just mm-hmm. saying one word. No, no. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> Ironically, Fred Schaefer was a drug, uh, like a, an anti drug ambassador out there. And just say no was one of his slogans. So I'm mm-hmm. glad he used it in this case. Anyway, right. though, we move on in the bracket, Equalizer and Rambo again. And then, of course, we get the wannabe Captain America on here. Uh, Rambo, this next race is going to be action-packed. The very thought of losing to a mercenary like you makes my stomach turn. The only shoot 'em up and bang-bang you're going to see in this race is the exhaust from my engine hightailing across the finish line. Eat your heart out, Stallone! There it is. <laughs> There's the Stallone reference. The fourth of the night, if you're counting, I think. I think he forgot what character he was playing there at the end. I think he was just trying to basically say, hey, you know what? I can beat Sylvester Stallone. Well, if you think about it, they lost the character throughout that whole season. Remember that towards the end of it, he was a rock star. And then he had yeah, towards the end of it, he pulls himself. the helmet off and he's got hair down to the middle of his back and he's all of a sudden a rock star. It's like they, they just gave up midway through the season. And honestly, that character was the one that kind of, I thought, worked. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, they're like, no, we're going to give up on that one, and you don't, like, they completely gave up on First Blood. But how the hell did the Predator one survive that long? <laughs> I, I, I don't know, I, I don't know. We we talk about these characters unfondly, trust me, and I hope everybody's enjoying the conversation yeah. about how much we hate these characters. But it gets to be just so old watching these broadcasts. Monster Wars made me confused on the meaning of the skull of Gravedigger. Yeah. I now know <laughs> for the longest time I thought the skull was a mountain, 
Well, in Monster Wars, guess what was behind the Gary Digger character? A skull that looks like a mountain. Exactly. And I thought for the longest time until someone told me, no, that's a ghost. That's the sky. That's a ghost of a skull going over, looking over the graveyard. But for the longest time when I was young, I thought it was a mountain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because you watched that Monster Wars and then all of a sudden, oh, hey, look, there's the castle, castle digger skull. Like I said, it's his Skeletor's cousin twice removed or whatever. Is this his younger or older brother that's down on his luck? I don't know. It's just, it's very, very, very stupid as far as I'm concerned to have all these these wannabe pro wrestling characters out there. Especially at a time, too. I mean, in 1993, pro wrestling's on a little bit of a decline. Mm-hmm. So why why even bring in these guys that are probably top billing on an independent show down the street? To do this stuff. Anyway, I'm done. I'm done talking about the characters until the next one pops up. <laughs> Semi-finals. Bigfoot and Barefoot. Overkill and Equalizer. Probably the final four I would have picked out looking at this lineup. Um, honestly, I might have put Digger 7 in there somewhere. Maybe kicked out Equalizer. But at the same time, a hell of a final four that we got right here. All championship caliber trucks. A featurette airs before this where we see Fred Schaefer in a white tank top lifting weights and talking about barefoot. I love I love the intro to this as Fred's just sitting there pumping iron and talking about barefoot and they cut to his bears. Sugar and Spice, I believe, were their names mm-hmm. out there. On, and they're just running around. And he talks about how he's an alcohol and drug prevention sp- uh, spokesperson, which is just awesome. And think of this, too. They call him Old Man Fred. Fred's only 45 here. Yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, he still had a lot of age to him, you know what I mean? He was still young. Still had a lot I of mean, time left in the Still seat. had a lot of time. I mean, compared to everyone else, I mean, yes, he was younger, I mean, older, but, I mean, still, he, he, he was still can do what everyone else can do. Yeah, he can definitely do what everybody else can do. Um, right before we get into this, though, as they come out of the Barefoot segment, Lou Ann Lee previews Bigfoot versus Barefoot. She then says Barefoot is second in Monster Wars points this season, and only one truck has more points. And then we cut to a recap of Dennis Anderson rolling against Barefoot in round number one. Gravedigger, of course, is your Monster Wars point leader. This event not for points. However, this leads into something that we didn't see very much at this time, and that is Dennis Anderson entertaining the fans inside the Silverdome Gravedigger style, as she puts it. We get a little freestyle from Dennis to the absolute worst music I think I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) I'm pretending as I listen to this that Bad to the Bone is playing in my head. Uh, Number 7 comes out and does a few uh, power wheelies, as well as some great big sky wheelies off the cars. This is some cool footage, but it's ruined by the segment when Skeletor's lame-ass little brother pops back in here. Yeah, he has to put his two cents in. Yeah, what a ceremony. All for me. Knocking them dead. I feel like we need the da 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 at the end of that right there. Yeah. When we finally get into the semifinals here, though. Equalizer and Overkill. Overkill, fastest, or faster in qualifying than Equalizer. But Equalizer has been faster the entire night. The average times, I believe, Equalizer was about a second quicker than Overkill the entire night in the average time slot. However... This is the race of the night. Mm-hmm. It was a close one, and one, uh, if you watched that run, once again, I think the rear steer on overkill cost him 
this race. Yeah, I think he loses the momentum out of the corner. He's actually ahead of Equalizer on the exit of the corner. However, it seems like when the rear steer kind of kicks back to the left again, it cuts just enough momentum off of overkill that it actually, what, what really happens is when the rear steer kicks, it cuts a little bit of momentum, and then that right front tire catches the edge of one of the cars, and it pops the front end of the overkill truck up in the air, almost like it's doing a big sky wheelie, flying through the air, doing a big wheel stand, whereas Equalizer stays flying straight as an arrow across the cars, and when they stop the footage at the end of the track during one of the replays of this, you can clearly see by about a half a tire, Equalizer takes the win because Overkill's tires are way up in the air in the wheelie position. Now, I'm also curious on where in the program that Gravedigger does its freestyle because when Gravedigger did that sky wheelie, it was the exact same hit that Overkill took when he was racing against Equalizer. It makes you wonder. I mean, it could have been right before the semifinals. It could have been after the show, after the racing portion was over with. Um, one thing we know about Monster Wars is they do like to skip around. Mm-hmm. So it could have been uh, very shortly before or very shortly after this. Yeah, but that 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 same hit, like you said, put Overkill's nose all the way up to the, the sky and Equalizer nose down to the ground. And that's one part of his defeat. We get the Equalizer superhero wannabe on here talking about how he made short work of Overkill. He didn't make short work of him. It was the race of the night, and I think that the character should have relayed that. He says mm-hmm. he's not worried about either Bigfoot or Barefoot. I'll size both of them up. Not really sure what that make that means at the end of his little promo right there, but I can tell you this. For a race that those two trucks just went through, that character popping in there just really craps all over it, as far as I'm concerned. Um, if anything, they should have not had that promo in there. They should have had good old Joe Lowe really hyping up how close that race was and how it was probably one of the closest of the season. Or yeah. interview David. They didn't yeah, interview, or interview David. They really did interview a lot of the drivers. You notice that in this episode? Yeah, they didn't the really dri- interview very many people. Um, the only time you hear from Andy Brass is the end of the night. I mean, <coughs> Uh, we go into Bigfoot and Barefoot here, and uh, I love the quote from Joe Lowe right here. This is not just a race to see goes to the finals. This is a race for pride, and he is exactly right. We said it before. These two operations aren't but maybe 45 minutes from one another. Pontoon Beach and Hazelwood, Missouri, they are right there next to one another. I mean, they're both trucks that are pumping out big horsepower, one sponsored by Dodge, the other sponsored by Ford, And let's not forget where we are. We're in the middle of Pontiac, Michigan. The automakers are big in this part of the state. (laughs) Or in the country. Yeah, in the country as well. I mean, the winner of this race not only gets bragging rights, but, I mean, the company that sponsors them has some some promotion rights as well, you would think. let's, Let's think about this. Outside of Bigfoot and Barefoot, the rivalry between Ford and Dodge or Ford and Chrysler and monster trucks as companies was is the longevity of it still ran until foot left or Ford left Bigfoot yep. with the Hall brothers with Ram Nader and Ram Munition, you know, when Dodge and Ram was with them, the still there was that competition between them two um, still went on for the longest time which made the sport pretty exciting yeah it made special events that was the special events show for the longest time was 
whether it was Fred Schaefer in the number one Bigfoot driver or whether it was Mark Hall in the number one Bigfoot driver, whether it was Fred Schaefer and Dan Rente, Fred Schaefer and Andy Brass, Mark Hall and Dan Rente, Mark Hall and Larry Swim. I mean, you look back at all of these different names that have competed against other, each other. This is probably the longest manufacturer rivalry in the sport, period. Mm-hmm. And they spent their money. <laughs> oh, they certainly do. They still do to this day. At least Dodge does. I don't know about Ford's involvement in the sport anymore, but I know that Dodge is still spending some money with a certain team that you know very well. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Chrysler does do that. And and um, I, I wish that's one thing uh, off topic here. I, uh, one thing I noticed that I wish that was a lot is corporate sponsorship type in the monster truck world. I leave and- it to that. Honestly, I believe the same thing. To get off onto a little bit of a sidebar, I I wish the same thing. However, stuff like, I mean, stuff like you would see the cartoony stuff. This stuff especially Mm. had to turn corporate sponsorship right out the door for a lot of guys. This stuff with these characters and stuff had to have cost a lot of money to some people. Perfect example you talked about was the Columbus 92 episode with uh, GMC and Nightmare, just because they saw the snake bite situation mm-hmm. that turned them off. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and not to throw snake bite under the bus, that's one of the, the more creative trucks that we've ever had in the industry. However, seeing that cartoony stuff going on with representatives there from GMC, I mean, that cost the Hesses a little bit of money because they were they were sponsored by GMC, and they were looking to re-up that sponsorship. and To a point where they had sold it. What's that? Until a point where they had to sold the team. Exactly. Stuff like that, that little stuff right there just costs corporate involvement in this sport. And this stuff right here, I think the industry is still trying to recover from. Yeah. Yeah. But, anyway, uh, bit yep. back on topic here. <laughs> Bigfoot and Barefoot are staged here. Ironically, two of the biggest names in the sport. Uh, Barefoot is actually, I noticed, a little bit behind the starting line. Bigfoot's almost right on it. Barefoot's about maybe a tire tread or two behind where he's supposed to technically mm-hmm. be lined up. However, it doesn't really matter, though, because Fred gets the whole shot, and he books it down the straightaway on Bigfoot here. Bigfoot, though, textbook turn. Fred didn't enter the corner like he did the previous round where he was the fastest thing on four wheels in the last round. This round, he is not. Hikes up that right rear just a little bit, not as much as he did against Anderson, but enough to cost him the win right here. And I tell you, Bigfoot goes 9.33, which at this point I think is the second quickest time of the night. Which was crazy because they did a little interview with Fred prior to the race. And Fred explained how to take out Bigfoot. And Joe Lowe pretty much said, Fred, you just you should have just kept your mouth shut. Yeah. Um, because you just kept your mouth shut and did what you were thinking. Yeah, because he did the total opposite of what he talked about, how to knock out Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it cost him. Certainly did. But I tell you what, we as fans get a little bit of a win here as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you've got a TNT rivalry renewed in the final round of this Invitational. 1989 points champion equalizer against 1990 points champion Andy Brass. Maybe a different Bigfoot here. This is number 11. This is not number 8. But still, Bigfoot and equalizer in this era from about 89 to about 96 or so is... I mean, it's toss-up as to who's going to win. And the one constant in all of that is it's the same equalizer truck. Just a little bit of changes here and there. Slight little changes here and there. 
but that truck could consistently, if it wanted to, take out that computer design computer designed truck that uh, Bob Chandler had created by just being a truck that was built with a pencil and paper. And that's an old Army Armstrong analogy that still holds true to this day. And it's crazy. And much applause and a much, much way of uh, Gary Cook and all those guys that had built that truck because that truck continued on much after this episode all the way to when David Morse sold it to uh, Mike Hawkins. Mm-hmm. And he drove that for a while, too. So the longevity of that truck. And it's great to see that truck also back at the Hall of Fame. Yes, it's it still is. it's a, it's a good home. It's not running away. It's not, you know, the the history of that. Same though with Taurus three. But even mm-hmm. though there's Taurus, I think five in this episode, it's still the longevity of these trucks. They are one of the pillars, I believe, of the monster truck world. Um, just because of it, you know. I agree with you. I agree with you a hundred percent. One thing that I found cool about this particular final is something that we didn't see much in TNT, and that was Morris versus Brass. Morris is gone fairly early in 1990. We only see quite a little select few events where Bigfoot and Equalizer are there together. Morris famously leaves in the middle of the Richmond, I believe, episode, and Mike Wine takes over driving Equalizer, and then shortly after that, we see Greg Holbrook come in, and that's where the 1990 season goes from that point. Holbrook comes in, drives Equalizer like he'd been driving it for 20 years, and really puts Bigfoot and Andy Brass to task all season long. He keeps them honest throughout that whole season. But like I said, we didn't see much of Morris, the 89 champion, and Brass. So here in this final, you've got the 89 and 1990 points championship drivers in those same two, well, not the same Bigfoot, but still the same two named trucks. And to me, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, and they're and still another thing is they're probably one of the they're probably the top one of the top six monster trucks in the country. And the thing is, is like you said, you know, you have Bigfoot keeps on being up to date, but you have Equalizer consistently believing in the word: if it ain't broke, don't, don't fix it. it. Exactly. Bigfoot arguably had the harder side of the bracket here. Yes, it had a bye in round number one, but he still had to get both past both Wilman and Schaefer. Ironically, the trucks that are 45 minutes from each other go all the way to Detroit to race one another. And Bigfoot takes out the fast Chevy and then the fast Dodge. And then we've got Equalizer, who honestly, he had maybe a little bit easier time at the beginning of the bracket, but he'd just come off the hardest race he had to run all night long against Overkill. So it's honestly a toss-up here between these two drivers. Equalizer gets the whole shot on Brass, but it's not really an advantage as Bigfoot is right with him. And then this is where Andy Brass shows his greatness. He gets to he gets that right rear tire to do exactly what Dennis Anderson wanted it to do earlier in the night. He gets it to pivot and spin around perfectly and has the fastest run of the night right here. The exit of this corner is astonishing, and he shows you exactly why he's Andy Brass. At the this best point, turn of the is, night. It's easily the best turn of the night, best run of the night, fastest run of the night, 8.92. Takes away the quote-unquote record that Barefoot had set earlier with a 9.13. I mean, Brass was on his game there in the final, and Bigfoot 11 was reacting perfectly to take out Equalizer in the final. Yeah, it was a good run, and and he made he made 
the equalizer, it seemed like, uh, you know, equalizer was consistent, but it just seemed like he made just, he knocked him off the podium. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Morris was going into that corner thinking that's where he was going to have the advantage on Bigfoot because Bigfoot, the previous round, had not cornered very well. It was the weakest Bigfoot look the entire night in that same lane that he was in in the final. I'm pretty sure that Morris thought, hey, you know what? He could mess up again over there. I don't know that he's going to get out of the corner the same way that I'm going to get out of the corner. And boy, Andy Brass just pushed it into that corner. He pivoted off of that left front tire, spun it around, made that right rear spin right around that corner. And before uh, Morris knew what was going on, Bigfoot was crossing the finish line ahead of him by a truck. Might as well save your best for last, right? Exactly. Easily the fastest run of the night for Bigfoot. Uh, man, a heck of a racing bracket that we had right here, but we can't end the show without hearing from the Equalizer character. Man, I was hoping for the thrill of victory, but now I'm suffering from the agony of defeat. Big feet. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not even going to pretend to laugh on that one. It was horrible. And for some reason, he qualifies, or he says at the very end of this, this is it, Bigfoot. You may have won, but I'm a soul man, baby. Will you be? It's like you never see that. You ever see that meme where the dude is, he's like shaking the beer, he's kissing the girl, and then all of a sudden it pans back out, and he's the third guy on the podium, and the other two are just looking at him like, what's going on? Yeah. That's this dude right here. <laughs> you ever <laughs> notice also? That's the definition of that. You ever notice every single time he is in defeat or when he comes back? You guys have to watch these episodes. Equal the synchronizer character talks about rock music, soul music, blues. Like, it has to do with something on music that keep them happy. I don't know who's the writers for these guys, but I'm wondering why the music tradition. But Honestly, he, I think maybe that was just something that he probably added himself in there because he seems like a guy. I mean, he's, just the way he talks, he sounds like he's way more energetic when he's talking about music than he is trying to be Captain America. Yeah, yeah. So, it's just confusing. This That whole program's confusing. Yeah, I mean, you had a great racing bracket right here that was just overshadowed by these guys talking and talking and talking. Andy Brass actually is the guy that ends the episode, though, as it should be. He says, I'd say the big blue Ford, but we've got some green colors on it this year, so the green Ford did us a really good job. He goes on to thank all of the sponsors. He says, we got into the corner, and I knew I was going to have to run a little bit harder. Watching Dave, he was making some really good corners. We went into the corner. We stayed with it all the way through. It was a good description from Andy Brass on how he ran that track. I mean, he just got it to pivot the exact way that he needed it to pivot. And Bigfoot was just untouchable on this night. I mean, he made uh, Jack Woman Sr. mess up practically by cutting into that corner a little bit quicker than he wanted to. Fred Schaefer messed up against him. I'm sure that if he would have raced Dennis Anderson on this night, it would have been a race. But I think Dennis might have done one of those things where he just does this crazy, wacky thing, and it's not a slow rollover. It might be the end of number seven as we know it if Dennis <laughs> is racing Bigfoot on this night. I mean, Bigfoot was just untouchable on this evening and goes on again on this show. I'll tell you what, Bigfoot has won probably more on this show than any other broadcast out there uh, just covering all these events. Uh, just to say a few things about the event overall, the event itself is great. The track is very tacky. It's tricky. It makes you think, what are these drivers going to do? It, it brings the fan into it, really, when you think about this track. It's really tossing these drivers out there for a loop. Nobody is making the exact same or exact 
a replica pass basically of the run that it did previously. Fred Schaefer's a prime example of that. He hikes up twice, but he has one run that could have competed with Bigfoot in the finals. <clears throat> I mean, the only truck that's really consistent is Bigfoot, and Bigfoot mm-hmm. has a mess up too. I mean, there's nobody out there that's really got this track 100% down, and that's why that is awesome to watch. I think Luann Lee carries herself very well as the host here. She knows she knows exactly what she is supposed to say. She delivers it in a good and interesting way to get you into the next segment. Joe Lowe is as crisp as, crisp as I've ever heard him. He does very good commentary here. I'm surprised he doesn't have anybody in the booth with him. I would have expected maybe hearing Scott Douglas. But Joe Lowe carries this season basically as the number one play-by-play announcer. I think Jim Davidson does his job as well. Again, as we said at the beginning of this, the absolute thing that kills this whole thing is these wrestling-style promos in the middle of the racing. Because we know, we know, these guys aren't talking like that to each other behind the scenes, and they're not going to say that over a live microphone. Uh, I have to say, for me, I'm giving this a 6 out of 10. As am I. Uh, Just, there was more to it also. If you're going to call this episode imitational, you have to have more than just three trucks that are not regular in your season. Yeah, I would um, increase the show up to 16 trucks and make it a right. sing- single elimination bracket. However, right. I understand their point in maybe not wanting to book that many trucks at this time. You know, I mean, if, if, if I agree, but there was a lot more better, there was a lot competition that wasn't in there that could have been there. Like they could have done, they could have brought in, you know, executioner, uh, Excalibur. Excalibur certainly um, being that hometown basically for that truck. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, the list goes on of trucks they could have brought in there to be a competitive truck as far as it goes. Uh, I will say, though, to end the episode, I think the greatest thing on this show is Lou Anley's dress. Okay. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, anyway but, but, just, but, just saying, just yeah. saying. Yeah, but also, there's more to it also that for me, giving the 610, you know, um, you know, like you said, Joe Lowe, the production of not if you throw away the WCW, you know, I would even those guys are so bad. I wouldn't even classify them WCW. <laughs> <laughs> um, New Japan. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> those guys are those wrestler type figures. If you throw that out, I if you threw out the wrestlers, I would out broadcast. I would have said eight out of ten. I agree. Actually, I, I might have said even a little bit higher, 8.5 maybe out of 10. Um, like, the one thing that really pops out about Monster Wars to me is the fact of their, there's Hollywood talent involved here with this, and Luann Lee and uh, the guy that played Carolina Crusher, Rick, uh, I'm, forget, I'm blanking on his last name, but man, that's, like I said, Hollywood talent in this. And then you turn around and and they just do the, the stupid stuff. Rick literally acted with Sylvester Stallone, who at this point is one of the biggest action stars in the world. And he's doing Carolina Crusher on a TV show for Monster Truck. Part of me wonders if the man ever actually went to a show. That's a good question for Gary Porter. Not throwing the guy under the bus, I'm just saying... You've got a guy like that involved with this, and you don't have. I would have had him in the booth. Mm-hmm. That's a cele- that's a guy's a celebrity, as far as I'm concerned. I would have had him in the booth with Joe Lowe. Luann Lee is a great host. 
I wouldn't have had her prancing around on the floor doing like, like some of these girls do nowadays. They prance down on the floor and they're interviewers. They, they do a good job of it down there, but I don't think Luann Lee would have done a good job. She was perfectly placed in this show, is my point, as the host. She's Did the good person that leads you in. She's the person that leads you out. Yes. Yes. I agree. Totally agree about that. She was perfect at what they did for her. And then you add Joe Lowe. I mean, Scott could have done it also, but there's something to do with Joe that makes sometime, makes some some of the broadcasting awesome. I agree. I agree. Um, I mean, there's just certain things they could have done and recast this a little bit better that could have made it something special with all of, like I said, there's Hollywood talent involved here. They could have done a little bit better as far as I was concerned. And I know this is hindsight booking. This is over 30 years ago. But still, y'all could have done just a little bit better. <laughs> just my point. Yeah. With that, yeah. thank you very much, Dan, for joining us on the show here. Uh, I believe you have a podcast. What's the name of it again? I've I'm been blanking. Blanking. Yeah, Crush This, a Monster Truck podcast. Uh, we're also on uh, iTunes, Spotify, and, and uh all your podcast platforms but every tuesday night we're live on facebook and youtube and uh we have guests every week and uh, uh by this time this episode comes out i do believe our guest for that tuesday will be rod schmidt uh josh's favorite grave digger driver i don't know about that <laughs> <laughs> no but he just came out with some two new trucks uh so that's right he's got the old equalizer and the old yep. hot tamale right Yep, yep, yep. He has those, so he'll be he'll uh, be on and talk about that and uh, stuff like that. But uh, outside of that, uh, just uh, keep track of me. Uh, we have the ball rolling uh, with the Raminator team, Hall Brothers Racing, and we've been doing a lot of uh, shows. Uh, I've been kind of uh, missing a little bit of some episode, uh, missing a little bit of some racing in the RC world, but uh, that that is my main job. But um, so go to Raminator dot com uh the checkout you know uh all the uh our schedules so if anyone needs to know it's r-a-m i can't spell okay r-a-m spell your i-n-a-t-o-r uh i'm brain farting this has been a long show uh once again once again r-a-m-i-n-a-t-o-r dot com and if you click on the left bottom left corner appearances we have the full schedule of where we're going to be at uh this uh uh season when this episode comes out i will be in uh north vernon indiana so we're gonna do a little bit of car crush and display and stuff like that so check us out there and uh and that's uh, pretty much it well, I myself am probably going to go to a show this weekend as well. Uh, I believe it's in Altamont, Illinois. It's, uh, the Monster Truck Racing League, I think, is putting it on. I'll be there. I'll probably be walking around in my retro Monster Truck Review t-shirt. If you all want to stop by and say hi, it's pretty close to my hometown. going to be there, and I'm going to enjoy it, I think. It's be the first time I've seen Monster Trucks since last summer. I'm really looking forward to it. I'll also be, I'll probably be at the St. Louis Monster Jam. I'm trying to get some, uh, some ideas worked out there as to what days I can go to the show. Um, I do know that it's a two-ticket minimum that you have to buy now. I was just looking to buy one for myself. Apparently, I can't do that. I have to buy two. So, 
Uh, gonna be looking to see if anybody wants to go with me, basically. But anyway, that has been the Retro Monster Truck Review for this week. I hope you all have enjoyed it, and we'll see you guys again on the tracks across America.